This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, yesterday in London at Westminster, one of the great set-piece political events of the year took place when King Charles delivered the King's speech. This is really not the King's speech. It is the King reading out the government's programme for the year ahead. And of course, this government just has over a year to live. It must hold an election on January 2025. And this was the final King's speech. Rishi Sunak is its author, Prime Minister, and many people believe this will be Rishi Sunak's first King's speech and last. And we're joined now from London by Chris Johns, Chris, former Chief Economist with the Bank of Ireland, and now a respected commentator. Chris, the reaction to the King's speech yesterday and this morning is very bad, I have to say. And people seem to think that this is a man and a government that has run out of ideas and can't even fake it. Yes. There was a measure in the the speech to do with smoking. We can all applaud measures designed to improve all of our health. And the, uh, the idea is that anybody who is currently 14 will no longer be able to go and buy a packet of fags from from a news agent or from a tobacconist for the rest of their lives, and it'll increase by a year. Uh, I think New Zealand has introduced a similar measure. Yes, and it was the fag end of a government that's run out run out of ideas. And it was uh, Keir Starmer captured it well with he described it as miserableist. It was it had effectively around twenty bills in it, and you have to go back ten years to find a state opening with fewer bills. So that's one measure, if you like, of how few ideas were in it. There, but, you know, in terms of the number of ideas, there were very few. It was a very wordy speech. Sometimes we all speak for, t- for too long. We actually don't have very much to say. It actually had more words in the speech than any other speech since 2005. Um, so wordy, but not much ideas. Contrast that with Boris Johnson, who in his uh, first King's speech had 38 bills in, so nearly twice as many. So we, for all the things that we throw at Johnson, we can't say that he didn't have ideas. They may have been bad ones, but Rishi Sunak looks like a man out of time, out of luck. He's in, a, he's in office, really, because he's not Liz Truss. That's the only thing that he's ever had going for him. Yeah. He hasn't done a great job. And one is tempted to say he looks like a busted flush, but unfortunately, it's, it is actually a flush that has never worked. 
Yes, indeed. And one piece of legislation in particular that would have been profoundly embarrassing for King Charles was the proposal to have a new bill dealing with offshore petroleum licensing. And this is a highly political piece of legislation. It would require North Sea Transition Authority, as it's known, the industry regulator, to hold annual licensing rounds for new oil and gas drilling. Now, you and I both know, Chris, and our listeners will probably know, that throughout his long life, King Charles has been an environmentalist long before it was popular, and indeed he was regarded as being a bit of an eccentric for even caring about the environment. He was regarded as eccentric, as you say. The the label tree hugger was applied to him as as a much younger man when, as you say, environmentalism wasn't nearly as fashionable or as popular um, as it is today. The oil and gas drilling bit of the King's speech was actually a particular example of a more general phenomena that rippled throughout King Charles's words, which is that it was a watered-down measure compared to what was leaked, mooted, proposed um, over the last few weeks. The, bill, the speech was notable for what it didn't contain as much as it did. The petroleum and gas drilling bit had, had been watered down, because, uh, not least because I think Sunak has been advised that parts of uh, what he was wanting to do broke international law. <laughs> a recurring theme with this government, um, but a minor way. So that there were still lots of things in it um, to take issue with and lots of things that were noticeable by their absence. For example, you, you probably were aware over the last week or two, our glorious Home Secretary, Suella Bravman, oh, yes. has yep. been taking issue with homeless people and their uh, tents. And she uh, was suggested, uh, wanted to um, make homeless people living in tents illegal. And that was going apparently to appear in the King's speech, but it didn't. So there, there were quite a few things. Uh, there was some arcane, but nevertheless very important stuff to do with the way which British pension funds invest in the British economy that had long been mooted. And the, the, that industry expressed a lot of disappointment today that there was nothing in the King's speech that encouraged that investment in the British economy. Indeed, the only reference to the economy was right at the start of the speech, when, uh, I nearly said Sunak, but of course it was the king mouthing Sunak's words, uh, made reference to, we're going to get the economy growing again. And that's a very laudable sentiment because uh, this government, or indeed any government in the UK, is not going to be able to do very much to transform the UK's fortunes unless it gets the economy going. So they nodded in that direction at the start of the speech, and then the rest of the speech, wordy though it was, didn't contain any measures at all, that will get the economy going. This pension fund investment thing is just one aspect of that more general thing, is that where is the economic growth going to come from that is going to pay for investing in ourselves again, which is something we haven't done for years, for getting the economy going, for getting the tax revenues growing such that they are able to do the sorts of things that any government should be doing. So it was it was thin stuff. Uh, one backbencher has... Uh, rechristened Rishi Sunak as Rishi Sunk. And I think that really, in a way, says it all. Yes, just from a parochial point of view, there was no mention of Northern Ireland and the floods there in, in, in Newry, 
which is on the north, northern side of our border, the, because there is no assembly running, they haven't been able to get any relief and Nuri has been destroyed. The Secretary of State hasn't visited. The Secretary of State for Northern Ireland hasn't visited. The First Minister-in-waiting, Sinn Féin, has visited. But it was as if Northern Ireland doesn't exist, which is remarkable. But we've spoken before, Chris, about that, and you have confirmed, haven't you, that nobody in Britain even knows where Nuri is. Many times, Eamon, many times, get your average Brits to point to Newry on a map and they would not, they'd not be able to name it as a border town, let alone figure out where in Northern Ireland it, it actually is. And, and it's out, out of sight, out of mind. But Michelle O'Neill did visit. Yes. She is the First Minister in waiting. Unfortunately, there is no assembly and the stalemate in that assembly that is being caused by the DUP means that the two governments, the British and Irish government, will either have to have joint authority, which is anathema to everybody, but particularly to unionists, or the Secretary of State will have to get his act together and do something for these people who are looking across the border and seeing the Irish government actually pump millions in to those who are affected by these dreadful floods we've had. For sure. The, the, the two economies on the island of Ireland uh, couldn't be uh, more starkly different these days. You and I will both remember when it was the other way around, that you, you crossed the border and all of a sudden the roads looked better, the houses looked better, and Northern Ireland was a much more prosperous place. Over the last decade or two, that has flipped completely. And gradually, that, that gap is widening. And that from a purely economic point of view, that, that, that is extremely worrying. But of course, it has both political and social dimensions as well. Somebody has to start caring about the Northern Ireland economy yes. as well as the Northern Ireland political situation. And at the moment, it seems that anybody outside of Ireland doesn't care about the, uh, the Northern Irish economy uh, or its political and social situation. That's completely unsustainable, of course. And you rightly say there are various ways it could go here. Joint authority, Resumption of direct rule, who knows? But yeah. it, it is unsustainable, Eamon, and the, it, that gap that is growing will eventually produce, I would have thought, quite seismic consequences. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yes, now let's return to... Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, and the tents. This woman sat next to Sunak in the subsequent Commons debate after the King had delivered his speech. She is clearly positioning herself to be a leader in opposition of the Tory party. She said this week, and there are two things I'd like to put to you. She said that sleeping in tents was a lifestyle choice, and that's a direct quote. And she said the people who are doing it should be arrested and charged. That's just one of the things she said that are really horrendous. The other thing is something that the Prime Minister Sunak said this morning. He said he was going to, and I quote, hold Sir Mark Rowley, the chief constable of the Metropolitan Police, personally responsible and accountable for what happens this weekend when, obviously, the Palestinian marches are going to take place at the same time that Britain is remembering its war dead in two world wars. It's a very, very sensitive and important and profound moment in British life, and it may not be wise, indeed, to have those two marches, but they are taking place in different places. However, I want to put to you two things. One is the idea that sleeping in a tent is a lifestyle choice. The other is the holding to account of a chief constable who is really observing the law. This seems to me to be, well, you tell me what you think, Chris. Okay, let's deal with the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. She is very skilled at telling great lies wrapped around a kernel of truth. And this is where language is so important, where facts are so important. And if you go out and talk to people who every day try to help homeless people in one way or another, particularly those that hand out the the food and other assistance that is given late at night when people are in their tents or sleeping rough in, in other ways, and ask them what they think about this, which I have done actually because I know quite a few people who do help in this way, good people. And they will tell you that for a vanishing minority of people who sleep rough, um, it is a lifestyle choice. It is something that they have actually willingly chosen to do. They are a peculiar minority, but they are so vanishingly small, you, you rarely meet them, but you will meet them. So there is one tiny, tiny element of truth to what Suella Bravman is saying. But for 99.9% of people who sleep rough, it is not a lifestyle choice. Circumstances, their lives, things going wrong, problems with um, family breakdown, addiction, unemployment. There are a whole host of very complicated interrelated factors. Each individual 
often has a unique story to tell about how they've ended up on the streets. Yes. And lifestyle and choice do not enter into their description of why it is that they are sleeping in a shop front or in, in, in some park, on some park bench somewhere. So it is grotesque. It is extremely performative. Um, but she's very good at this sort of thing in the same way that she described the Palestinian marches as hate marches. Yes. For a vanishingly small number of people on those marches, they probably were hate marches. They were certainly, some of them, a small minority of them, saying hateful things. But the vast majority of those people were exercising their legal rights to protest about something that they did not like, that they thought was awful, and they were doing it in a peaceful and legal and non-hateful way. So again, a great lie wrapped around a very small kernel of truth. She's very, very good at this. And this is playing, as we've talked about before, Eamon, to a particular gallery. Indeed. It's the people who are going to vote for her, she hopes, when the race to become the next leader of the Tory party begins. Yes, and Sunak let her sit beside him yesterday. And, I mean, she was ripped to shreds by the opposition. And she is a person who is incapable of looking after her own brief in the Home Office. She's failed, for example, to stop the boats, which is one of her commitments. But I want to ask you also about a Prime Minister personally holding a Chief Constable to account. That's well, before we get to that, let's just deal deal with Sunak sitting next to, to Braverman. Yes. And I think that that's important. It is. Because he's so weak. He has such little clout within the Tory party uh, with, within the mem membership of the Tory party and his MPs that he, w he isn't able to do what any other normal leader of any political party, including the Tory party, would have done a long time ago. And that's Saka. Um, because yes. she, she does this performative stuff. She's openly campaigning to be the next leader, as we keep saying. And the right thing to do, the normal thing to do, the rational thing to do is fire her. And everybody knows that he can't because he's so weak and yes. because that would expose his flank to, quite frankly, the vast bulk of the Tory membership these days who love her. That's the problem that he faces. He's weak. It's said that he's going to be the next Nick Clegg, that once the general election comes and goes and the Tory party is defeated, as per the current opinion polls, um, he'll go back to his uh, second home of California and work for one of the large tech companies in the way that um, the previous leader of the Liberal Democrats did. Uh, that remains to be seen, of course. But that's the way people are talking about Sunak. They're speculating about his next job, um, and which tells you the, the, the state of discussion, the febrile state of discussion in, in Westminster. And of course, moving on to his attacks on the chief constable, the, the head of the Metropolitan Police, talk is cheap. Amen. And, you know, he's, he's trying to sound as performatively cruel and idiotic as his home secretary because he has to appeal to the same base. He, he can't expose himself to criticism, yes. too much criticism from that flank. Um, the, the Metropolitan Police clearly have taken legal advice about the, what they can and cannot do about these marches. And we have very, very strict laws about freedom of speech and the right to protest and all the rest of it. And the Met, quite rightly, in my view, has decided that these marches are not illegal, that they should be allowed to go ahead. There are certain things that people on any march can and cannot do. They will try to police accordingly. It can get very difficult in those circumstances if there are counter-marches, for example, if there are people 
who are then on the streets protesting the rights of the pro-Palestinian marchers to do what they're doing. It could get very nasty and very ugly very quickly. That's what we hope does not happen. Yes. Um, and that, that's what the Met, I, sen- I sense, will be there to, to, uh, to stop. The other thing that they will, of course, be trying to stop, which is the thing that they didn't do before, was arrest anybody that tried the hate speech thing, the minority of yes. people that called for jihad, that frankly called for Jewish people and Israelis for horrible things to happen to them. People who are chanting those sorts of things do deserve to be arrested. And I think that most reasonable people will think that, yes, the Met would find that quite tricky to do in the middle of a loud, boisterous march, but it is something that they probably should try to do. But if the Prime Minister puts such pressure on the chief police officer in the Metropolitan Police as to name him and hold him personally accountable when he is really just observing the law. It gives us an indication, perhaps, of how, how low this Tory government is sinking. There's another example I want to put to you, Chris, because I'm sure you've seen it. Michael Gove is looking to introduce a bill that will make it an offence to undermine, quote, UK values. Now, can you tell me what UK values are And can you tell me how all of a sudden Michael Gove has gone crazy because he does appear and has appeared over time, although a Brexiteer and a former friend of Boris Johnson, to be one of the more capable cabinet ministers in Britain? What values are we talking about here? It's a very un-Gove-like thing to do, so it's a bit, it it is peculiar. I thought it was Suella Braverman when I read the headline. You, you'd, you'd certainly expect it to come out of the, the Home Office, not from Michael Gove's uh, Department of Leveling Up. And it, it is at this stage only a proposal. It was a story leaked to the Observer over the weekend, last weekend. And they, are, they have the status of proposals. And the idea is to broaden the definition of extremism to, to include anyone who, and I'm quoting here, undermines the country's institutions and its values according to these documents seen by the Observer. Um, I su- suspect it was drawn up by officials rather than Gove. It ha- they only have the status of proposals. I'd be astonished if they ever come to light. But the mere fact that they exist, that people are thinking in this way, is another example of what you're talking it's about earlier on. It's a totalitarian route, isn't it? Oh, very much so. I mean, when, when are we going to start setting up re-education camps in to, to make sure that we all adhere to this list of values and admire the country's institutions. You ask me what the country's values are. You could ask anybody in this country that question, and we'd all come up. We'd all come up with our lists. Yeah, but Britain was renowned, really, wasn't it? Mm. Certainly, in my view, not a view shared by all our fellow, my fellow countrymen. But I thought British society was moderate, decent on the whole, and tolerant. Tolerance is a British virtue, I think. Am I wrong? I think it still is, Eamon. I, no, I don't think you're wrong. I still think the majority of the people in this country are do think in that way and, and do behave in that way. Unfortunately, there is a, a minority that is growing yes. um, that are not. And, and they're Tory members and they'll have a vote in the next leadership yeah, election. A lot, of the, a lot of the people that espouse the non-traditional British values of tolerance, moderation, freedom of speech, minding your own business, um, just getting on with life, yes. um, dealing with its ups and downs in a way, um, mustn't grumble is a, is a classic British expression. And these yes. people are far away from, from that. I mean, 
uh, people say things like, um, you know, you can't, no point in complaining because nobody's listening. We, we have a, 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 a view of ourselves that we just quietly get on with life and whatever it throws at us, we just simply deal with in our own very British tolerant, moderate way. That clearly has changed. It's certainly changed for a significant swathe of the Tory party. And as you say, they keep sinking to new lows. They, they seem to almost compete with each other to be performatively cruel. Some people think that Braverman is, is actually daring the prime minister to sack her, trying to come up with ever more extreme things so that yes. she could wear that badge. Rishi Sunak sacked me. Um, I am therefore, you know, free to run as the next leader at the earliest available opportunity. I can now start running against Sunak and all pretense of cabinet responsibility. And it is only pretense these days can can disappear. But this is the, going back to our original opening remarks. It, what this amounts to is a government that is is out of time. Um, it, you know, the, the 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 agenda was described as one of change and the need for change, the deep, deep need for change because of all of these different things that have happened to political life that we've just described there. This race to the bottom, the fact yes. that the economy is firing on one cylinder only, the fact that everybody just looks around and see things gradually degrading. Everyday life very slowly, incrementally degrades every yes. day. I had my COVID booster this morning. So things are still, the NHS still works in that regard. I had it in a squalid little pharmacy where there was a big box of used syringes sitting on the injector's desk. I asked him if he yes. was a pharmacist. He just said, no, I, did, I just work here. It, right. was, it, was, it was quite a squalid experience, actually. I thought yes. it was an interesting metaphor for the way things have gone in recent years yes. here in the UK. Everyday life is degrading, and it's, 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 um, there are lots of reasons for it. It's a very complex phenomenon, but 13 years of this Tory government have got an awful lot to do with it. Yes, and there is a COVID inquiry, which is being televised by Sky, much of it, and it's being presided over by a very distinguished former lawyer, Baroness Heather Hellett. But in it, one of those people who are well disposed towards Boris Johnson and remain well disposed towards him, a senior civil servant, conceded to the inquiry yesterday that during the COVID pandemic, Boris Johnson did indeed say, as many have alleged, let the bodies pile high. We are not having another halt to activity. We're not having another stop. This is quite extraordinary, isn't it? And some of the things emerging from this COVID inquiry are frightening when you consider the way the government, the British government behaved during that grave time when over 250,000 Britons died, and many of them dying without being able to see those closest to them in care homes, whilst in Downing Street, it was party gate all the way. One of the many ways it would be funny if, if it wasn't so absolutely deadly serious. But that quote, let the yeah. bodies pile up. The, these public inquiries, anybody that's watched Yes Minister uh, or indeed observe the British political scene for any length of time knows that these public inquiries are set up to quietly bury an issue and make sure that controversial, difficult subjects uh, never uh, have daylight shone on them. 
And the extraordinary thing about this public inquiry is it's yet another example of this government not doing what it should be doing. In this particular case, it's burying the issue. Instead, this inquiry, which everybody, me included, thought would just be a rehearsal of everything that we we knew about the, the, the times of COVID and the behavior in Downing Street, has caused jaw-dropping response that people saying, God, I knew it was bad. Yeah. I never realized just how bad it was, how awful these people actually were, how they behaved. Is We knew that they had behaved badly, but we never knew just how badly they had behaved. Matt Hancock seeking to uh, uh, gain powers to decide yeah. life and death. Uh, yes. There were so many different... And, uh, we just spelled that out for our listeners because it's barely believable. He wanted the right to decide, as you rightly say, Chris, who, in the event that decisions have to be made, who should die and who should be allowed to stay alive. Absolutely. And it, it, he, he has become um, a figure of, of, of much derision, uh, rightly so, not, not least because of these sorts of remarks, but because of all the other things that he has done. But they were all at it. Uh, you, you've yeah. only got to listen to... Um, Dominic Cummings' testimony, and yes. even he was able to shock. And I thought that he'd lost that ability. Um, that everybody is deeply suspicious, and perhaps there's no right to be. But but the the civil service leader Simon Case has done a disappearing act because of apparently ill health. Um, but some of the things that he is quoted as saying that. The thing that has come to light during this uh, COVID inquiry has been the exchange of WhatsApp messages between various officials, between various ministers. And the sort of things that the head of the civil service was saying about his boss, the prime minister, the yeah. sort of thing that all of these officials were saying to each other amount to saying, they don't amount to, they actually do say, these guys are crazy. Uh, it is it is pure chaos. They don't know what they're doing. Um, there's a whole series of these messages contained within WhatsApps. And there are so many different aspects of that that one could comment on. But one would be for the head of the civil service and other senior officials to be remarking to each other about how dysfunctional 10 Downing Street and then do nothing about it. Just a final piece of information. You may not have had time to see this, but they had the deputy head of the civil service who was scathing about everybody, including Johnson, who she felt was unfit to be prime minister. And I was watching it and I thought, well, fair play to you, very candid in that. Later in her evidence, it turned out that she was the woman, the deputy head of the civil service, who brought the karaoke machine to one of the parties. Absolutely. So she she was doing a very good job of covering her own uh, back. And uh, the the revelation that she bought the the karaoke machine for several of the parties, um, which another official had said were occurring on a daily basis, or at least one of the things that was said definitively is that the COVID regulations were were broken every single day that they were in force. And again, I go back to that civil servant that you are referencing there, the the deputy head of the civil service, in keeping with all of those other officials that I was referencing, all were remarking to each other about all of this stuff, the dysfunction, the chaos, the breaking of the rules, but they did nothing about it. They brought their own bottles, though. Anyway, Chris, it's good to talk to you, and we're very grateful to you for talking to us from London. We're very grateful, Chris, former Chief Economist of the Bank of Ireland, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.